Hello and welcome to the Majlis podcast, Ready for Every Liberties, current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Ready for Every Liberties media manager here in Washington, D.C. December 16 is an important day on Kazakhstan's calendar. This is when Kazakhstan declared its independence, but this is also a day when people mourn the death of their loved ones who were killed in government crackdown against striking oil workers in the town of Zhenozen. Our Kazakh service journalist Peter Trotsenko, who toured Zhenozen on December 16, says that the city was as if frozen, gloomy and deserted. Police were everywhere, especially in the central square where 10 years ago striking oil workers were hit and many died. Um, so this is the situation in Zhanozen. How is this bloody event commemorated in the rest of the country? What the government is doing or saying? Ten years on since the event, what came out of the investigation? So today we will remember Zhanozen victims and reflect on what happened that day and what happened since. To discuss all these, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Nursait Inyazbekov, Assistant Professor of International and Regional Studies at the Kimap University, Yevgeny Zhovtis, the Director of the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law, Darhan Omerbekov, Senior Journalist with Radio Fair Pride Liberties, Kazakh service locally known Radio Azatik, uh, and Bruce Panier, the Editor of Radio Fair Pride Liberties Central Asia blog, Kishlog Owazi. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us in this important conversation. So, uh, earlier I was kind of describing the dead silence in Janauzen through the lenses of our correspondent on the ground. So take us uh, from there, Darhan, you are uh, on the ground in Nur Sultan. Take us from there. Describe us the atmosphere in Janauzen today. We are hearing from our uh, reporter Peter Krasenka and the other sources of information and that's and this time in Janauzen it's always windy and the storm goes everywhere so just unlikely time in terms of weather but like the, we have people who are from Janauzen and they say that these days are like a tragic for them and everyone from Janauzen is saying that this is not the holiday this is not the the day they are just celebrating i mean the the, the day of independence so this year nothing has changed and people are just commemorating all those died during those events and we've seen from Peter's reporting that they're commemorating events like we call it in Kazakh as just uh, the traditional ceremony or just like uh, the, the events uh, to commemorate the, the, those who died and that's it, that's uh, the environment. Uh, of so, course, these days, uh, the police takes care of everything. They, they, they're in full control of the city and just checking everyone. Hmm. And uh, our reporters told us that they were followed by the unknown people and they have suspect that they were the KGB guys, I mean, the Kazakh mm-hmm. Security Committee. Mm-hmm. So when you say, Darhan, people uh, remember those days, those uh, victims, uh, those tragic events, how should we visualize that? In which way they, they remember it? They usually go to the cemetery where mm-hmm. those, uh, those people were buried, pray Quran. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes to, they gather in, uh, in the yards mm-hmm. or sometimes in the restaurants and hold some kind of commemorating lunch or something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually by slaughtering sometimes sheep okay. and the way how the Muslims do when but, they commemorate. So, but but there is no kind of public event activities going no, on. No, 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 no. 
the authorities, especially the, the mayor of the Mangsto region where journalism is located, weeks ago told us that the government, the local authorities are not going to uh, hold any public events. So the, the city is empty and quiet these days. Mm. That's a, a strange day. I mean, your reporter, Peter, also kind of hints into that in his reporting. Like this is also a day when Kazakhstan declared its independence. Independence celebrations are usually held in Central Asia and elsewhere with large size activities, public festivities and the, things like that. So there is also no independent day related activities taking place in Zanuzan, it means. Yes, correct. And then uh, Nur Sultan city was also quiet. And uh, I mean, we tried to talk to people on the street and uh, they, everyone was telling that this is not the holiday we should celebrate. And th- this year, I heard from many people that, that we should change the date for Independence Day to another date, like uh, October 25, when we declared in 1990 our sovereignty. The, the day was uh, used to be also a holiday until, I guess, 2009 or seven, and then it was eliminated as, as a holiday. Hmm. We do not the celebrate the Republic Day anymore. And some people were just suggesting that we should start using the, that day to celebrate Independence Day that and uh, December 16 cannot be a holiday because of journalism, because of uh, Jeltosan events in 1986. Very interesting. I know, Yevgeny, you have plenty to share on this, given your first-hand accounts, first-hand investigation following those events. So the way Darhan was describing the atmosphere in Jana Uzen, how is this different when compared to the activities or commemorations might have held uh, in the past, in the previous years, on the Jana Uzen events? I want to reiterate what, you, what was already said, that these are three days which are very strange because uh, 16th of December is on one hand the celebration of the independence, hmm. the day of uh, independence, and at the same time it's the tragic events in Jean Ozien, followed by the commemoration of tragic events of 17th and 18th of December of 1986, mm-hmm. of the Jol events. That is, everything is coincided and then practically is linked to each other. Secondly, there were some activities, this in Almaty and some other cities, where the people tried to go out uh, to the streets uh, calling for the commemoration on one hand, for investigation on another. Four human rights organizations two days ago issued a statement related to these events. Mm. But it looks like uh, these are there are three parts of the society or of the government uh, which are paying attention to what is going on or to all these events. Mm. First, it's the civic activists, the political opposition, some human rights defenders, those who were involved in Toksan events or in the following the events in Jean-Louzien. They try still to raise the issue. They start to call for the independent international investigation. You know that the UN Human Rights Commissioner calls for this uh, commission, independent commission which could investigate the events. Secondly, there was the calls from the UN Human Rights Council, the calls from the UN Human Rights Committee, the last report on international covenant on civil and political rights uh, implementation by Kazakhstan. The committee issued the recommendations again. One of the key recommendations was about Janouzin, but nothing happens. That the people are still calling, human rights organizations are still calling for that, but it's a relatively small part. The bigger 
part of the society, they are quiet, but especially in the west of the country, they did not forget, for sure. And that's, in certain way, it's some kind of quiet commemoration without any clear impression that something is going on. But the people, of course, remember. And finally, the government, that the government tried to keep everything under the control, the committee on security in all cities, together with the police, with the local police, tried to control all civic activists. A lot of people were arrested preventively before going to, uh, yesterday to the streets, yeah. which was all together about journalism events, about the political prisoners, about the Zeltoxan events, all together. The government, uh, of course, the uh, most part of the government are the same people who were in power in the time when the event took place, and they don't want to do so. That the reaction is that okay, we had already investigation. Some people were uh, sentenced to imprisonment, mm. including the oil workers on one hand, and some of the police. Mm. But in general, three key questions were not answered, and I already pointed it out very clearly. First of all, we still didn't know exactly what happened and who were those people who were clearly provocateurs. Secondly, who gave the order to send the armed troops, not the troops which could uh, stop even if mass disorder happens, but they were, the people were not armed and the police was armed. That the, Who allowed the people to go to the police to go to the streets with the heavy arms? And finally, who exactly individually, who shot, who made shots? And these questions are still after 10 years in the air, uh, after 10 years of these events. Uh, you know, these are very, very relevant questions. You know, I had a couple of other points with regards to the, the way the, those events are commemorated today. But uh, since you raised these issues, Yevgeny, let me also bring in Dr. Niazbekov. So a couple of very legitimate questions being raised by Yevgeny in terms of the investigations. It's been 10 years. I mean, what's the hurdle? What are the, the some of those elements which kind of obstructs to find the truth and bring it to public? Well, first of all, let's not forget that we are dealing with a very well-consolidated authoritarian regime. And as any authoritarian regime, its survival depends on hiding the truth, on skewing the reality, on deceiving the public, managing the information, and all these information flows. And so uh, this is exactly what the, the government is trying to do. Had the people found out what actually happened, had there been answers to the questions that Evgeny had raised, the regime would have committed a suicide. But people out there are in order to understand their legitimacy and to um, undermine their the public trust. So this why they're hiding the truth from the people. Mm. You know, uh, there are two kind of sides of conversation here. One is what actually happened and what has been over the past 10 years, what has been the official version of what happened? Uh, Bruce, uh, do you would like to jump in and kind of separate these uh, two questions? Huh. Well, I mean, as far as what happened, I, we've laid out, you know, the, the day of the, of the tragic mm. events and stuff. But I mean, this this 
strike had been going on since I think May of 2011 for many months. And they even then there was problem. The government was interfering and, and putting pressure on on not just the striking oil workers, but also on, on trade union representatives who were trying to help out the striking oil workers and, and activists, too, that were also uh, part of it. As I remember it, you know, there was a lot of other people who were who were supporting the oil workers. And, and um, you know, and you could see that the government was getting nervous uh, as we got closer and closer to Independence Day at the time. You know, there's a lot of stories about exactly what happened. I mean, you know, officially they say 16 people were killed, but but a lot of people say it was many, many more than that. And that you know there was two or three days of just terror in the the area around in John Ozen and the area around John Ozen with security forces running all over the place trying to catch people and and you know shooting at them in cases. Since then too, well there's there's many problems that have happened since then. I mean you could point out one the investigation was clearly not very thoroughly done. They found some scapegoats. They they said that these were the guys that were guilty. They received some punishment, not a lot. Certainly, considering the gravity of the, you know, the violence that happened that day, it's amazing that some of these people, they got a few policemen uh, and the local head of, of the police force, I think, and, and they got the equivalent of like slaps on the wrist or something. I mean, they did have to go to jail for a while, but not for very long, not considering how many people were, were killed, even officially. Um, and, and then since then, of course, they've just wrecked the tra- independent trade unions, unions in the country. Because they look at them as being part of the problem, as as having you know helped fuel the tensions out there. Probably a bad term to use with oil workers. So since then, the the government has has methodically undercut any possibility of a repeat of this by making sure that, like I said, independent trade unions were were either not registered or certainly didn't have any much power. You know, there was a lot of labor strikes this year, for instance, and they seemed to work to defuse, especially the strike, and most of them involved the oil industry, too. And they, they did what they could to defuse that by giving their, their classic tactic of giving the oil work or the striking workers some of what they wanted in the hopes that they would stop it. You could see that that also was making the government nervous, you know, going as we approach the December 16th. They had more than 10 strikes going on in Jano Zen alone uh, during parts of this last summer. Uh, and it seemed to be spreading like the last one did to other areas in, in Mangastau province and, and, and other areas. So, you know, it, it's had a big effect on the country. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's a black stain that just that, that no one wants to to try to open up and mm-hmm. and um and really get to the you know at least no one in the government wants mm-hmm. to see reinvestigated or looked at again. Mm-hmm. No, these are very important points that Bruce you are raising in in terms of what it led to in terms of more protests elsewhere in the country. But one final thought about the government response in this moment: Have you ever heard anything President Tokayev say about this specific event? If he did, what kind of word exactly he used to describe it? Well, you know, I'm going to leave that for our other guests. I, I, mm. He must have addressed it at some time or another. Mm. Uh, but this is a subject that even when it comes up, officials don't want to give more than one or two sentences right. to. But like I said, uh, probably any mm. of our other guests would, mm. would okay. have uh, anyone, noticed okay. any, if that happened. Any, anyone else who might recall how President Tokayev, or maybe Nazarbayev in that case, describe this event, if they did, how they did it? What kind of specific terms that they use to describe it? Uh, as, a, as a successor, I, I cannot to... recall anything. Darhan, you said you don't uh, recall anything. Uh, okay, anyone else? I, I, first of all, I want to add something. What Bruce said, that 
besides cracking down uh, on just the, recently uh, we, we've seen okay, uh, another rising to the storm okay. where ex-president mentioned journalism events he reiterated his uh, previous statements blaming Mukhtar Ablazov on organizing those events and pretending that no one the government was not was innocent and didn't kill oil workers and I cannot recall anything specific from President Tokayev, but even if he said in the past something related to genocide, he could say something that could contradict the official, the Agorta's point on, on, that, on that issue. The official? He, but, uh, President Tokayev today tweeted about December events in uh, 1986, saying that the, the Kazakh uh, young people protested against the communist power, and it was the sign that the, the Kazakhs wanted independence, independence and etc. Like uh, the it uh, coincides with the patriotic explanation of uh, those events in school books and the official explanation of those events. But like there are many many issues regarding the even December events as well, and we don't have answers to them as well. That's very very interesting. Like you earlier mentioned, the only kind of a reflection about those uh, December 16 Jana Uzen events came from former president Nazarbayev in which he blamed on Abliyazov for organizing those protests and said that government has nothing to explain. In the meantime the, the minimal action that we have seen so far by the Kazakh authorities as earlier Yevgeny said some police officers were also jailed. So on one hand Nazarbayev is saying that there is nothing government to be blamed about in the meantime they are jailing their own security forces very very strange reaction i mean why this becomes so sensitive issue you've got earlier you wanted to say something can you respond into this question why i mean why it becomes so sensitive for authorities first of all i want to reiterate what bruce said and that's something that besides cracking down on uh, trade unions these events were used to crack down on the opposition and the, practically the BCK or Alga party was uh, banned after the events. Then there was the crackdown on independent media, uh, the informational uh, consortium of Respublika and so on. That it was used in political, there were political games of the events to crack down on the opposition. And for 10 years, we are witnessing the same situation that Tokayev is now following Nazarbayev in cracking down on civic activists not allowing opposition or political parties to register and not allowing to independent media to exist, really, uh, national-wide media at least. I want to add that Tokayev didn't say anything about the events itself, but in September he went to the region hmm. and he ordered to create this special, I don't know, some kind of headquarters on resolution of the labor conflicts. He tried in certain way to address certain issues. And of course it's very difficult to do if you are tracking down the independent trade union and there are no representatives of workers in reality. But when this situation is very sensitive, it's the same. It reminds me, of course, not to such scale the events in Andijan in uh, Uzbekistan. Mm. Because on the international arena, it looks very bad. You are cracking down, you are uh, shooting your own uh, workers, which were unarmed. It was clear. And secondly, 
a lot of people who were involved, including Mr. Nazarbayev himself, including former Minister of Interior, including a number of people. Of course, they don't want to blame themselves. I absolutely agree with the Norseid that it is authoritarian regime. Authoritarian regime is never recognizing it or acknowledging that it makes mistakes. It's obviously are trying to point to other actors saying that, okay, the oil workers are to be blamed themselves or political opposition or Ablazov or DCK or Alga and so on. That's it. In general, they don't want to disclose that because it's clear that starting from the beginning, they don't want to solve the conflict in a normal matter. And then they were using provocateurs and then they are killing their own people. And it's obvious for them. It's, it's, uh, they don't want to commit suicide in the public eyes. But what I'm sure of, I'm uh, finishing, that in the people's memory, hmm. in the people's minds, in the people's perception, everything is fresh. And the people are, are still looking at this situation it's very, very controversial when on one hand you are celebrating the independence and on the other hand you have this tragic event in the west of the country. Right, yeah. And I, I, I'd like to add one, one point. Quickly, please, Darkhar, we need to move on. Yeah. Just many people in Kazakhstan are convinced that the order came from Nazarbayev himself because we are the country where everything depends on the president. President Nazarbayev created such a system where only him can uh, make these kind of decisions and uh, the local uh, authorities are known to try to avoid taking responsibility for uh, important decisions. They always try to do things by, in the name of Nazarbayev and, and people say that it's highly unlikely that the government could afford uh, ordering to sh- uh, fire at unarmed oil workers and uh, they don't believe that it could be done by the Minister of Internal Affairs as well. And even if the authorities try to give some kind of explanation that would sound implausible and the government would need serious evidence and as uh, Nursid and Evgeny told, they cannot do that. Right. Terrific. Thank you very much, colleagues. It was very insightful. So going forward, you know, it was indeed a major, major incident in history of Kazakhstan, and they are still struggling how to deal with with the legacy of it. So what has been the, the implications? Earlier, Yevgeny kind of pointed out on some of those implications, the legacy of those events. Earlier, Bruce was talking about what happened to trade unions. Also, my uh, kind of additional question in the same context is, did anything change? in the circumstances in which those uh, oil workers decided to strike in the first place. Let's continue the conversation talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Nursait Niazbekov, Assistant Professor of International and Regional Studies at the Kemap University, Yevgeny Jotis, the Director of the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law, Darhan Omerbekov, Senior Journalist with Radio for Pride Liberties, Kazakh Service, locally known as Radio Azatik, and Bruce Panier, the Editor of Radio for Pride Liberties, Central Asia Blog, Kishlak Owazi Bruce, is joining us from Prague, and our other guests are all joining us from Kazakhstan today. And I'm Mohamed Tahir, Ready for Pride Liberties Media Manager and host of the Majlis podcast. And I'm here in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing the Janozen incident 
and it is legacy. So let me start with Dr. Nias Bekov. So, so the implications, you know, it was, as I said, it was a major event. I guess 16 people were killed and dozens injured. So when you think of what the implications of those events have been, what comes to your mind? And let me also add here earlier what Yevgeny was talking about. You know, uh, since those events, authorities tend to blame all kind of protest activities to be part of opposition. So that's one of the lessons that authorities drawn from that, and they seem to be using it for their own purpose. So other than that, Dr. Niazbekov, what comes to your mind in terms of what has been the implications mm-hmm. of those events? In my opinion, the regime was uh, taken by complete surprise. It didn't expect that after almost eight or nine months of endless protests, workers. This could be seen by some political opposition as an opportunity to come along and to politicize those otherwise see this economic demands. Because in the beginning, the protesters were demanding better working conditions, uh, rising salaries and stuff like that. But closer to December, some of the political activists uh, traveled to Genozien to protest along with workers, and this is when the oil workers started to demand the resignation of the prime minister. So things started to get really hot. So after the protests were suppressed, what the regime learned from this, what took away from this, is that it should separate as much as possible political protests from economic protests. So it will never, in my opinion, repeat this mistake because it was very costly to the regime. So what will happen now after after these events is that if the regime sees that there are single mothers with uh, lots of children, if there are people unhappy with the land reform, if they're unhappy with the import of uh, cars from outside uh, the customs union, I mean, all these economically motivated protests, right? The regime will take immediate steps to address these concerns, to prevent these economic issues and grievances from politicizing. Something that happened during the Zonauzin event. Today, political protests are minimal and they're all contained and they're very heavily suppressed. They're very heavily and uh, policed. But if you look at the economic protests, this is as long as the single mothers and other economically aggrieved segments of the population do not politicize and approach the political opposition. Should that happen, the regime will take this extremely sensitively and destroy it at the very, at the very end. Mm, mm, yeah. So other than kind of uh, public events, the types of which uh, Dr. Niazbekov uh, has mentioned earlier, what has been the implications of those events that are seen throughout the society in which ways they are seen? Anything else to be discussed in terms of the implications of those events at this stage? Otherwise, we are going to move on. There are a couple of other points we would like to discuss before we end the conversation. It's open for anyone. One little thing I would like to add, really, mm. really short, uh, Muhammad. Mm. Another thing that they've uh, involved in communication with the society. Mm. So they have uh, boosted their digital presence mm. and they started to react to the uh, public uh, grievances as much as possible mm. through the uh, digital presence. 
terrific point here, Dr. Nias Bekov. Um, one area uh, one would have logically expected to see some changes happening as a result of those December 16 events in Janozen is the, the condition uh, which led uh, to those protests to begin in the first place. I mean, um, working conditions of those oil workers, the, the grievances that led to um, protests resulting in a bloody crackdown against them. So has has there been any fundamental change taking place in those conditions? Yevgeny, maybe this question kind of speaks to your background. Probably I will add two things. First mm. of all, what they learn after this event, another two points, I want to stress it. First mm. of all, not to allow people to consolidate, even with the economical demands. Mm. Mm. Not to allow to get big, uh, let's say, so consolidation among different groups, uh, different... Uh, that's why they adopted this law on trade unions, uh, draconian, which is now trying slightly to ease because of the uh, recommendation and criticism of the ILO. But in general, first, what they uh, learn out of that, that if it will be big groups of people, it could be politicized, even if they separated the political opposition, that in certain way, big groups, big, uh, and that's why they are, um, let's say, so obstructing the work of the independent trade unions. And second, what they learn, they learn that they have to establish or to find out the leaders of public opinion or some kind, uh, not formal, but informal leader, that civic activist, which has in the social networks or in other way, the mobilization capacity, some kind of capacity to cooperate people around them, they're try- trying to crack down on them. That's why all these trials which are underway against different civil activists, the most harsh sentences are, uh, let's say so, imposed on uh, the such kind of leaders or the activists which are more, uh, let's say, so outspoken or more uh, charismatic or something like that. What about the society? The, uh, of course, if you have t- these last 10 years of permanent crackdown on any kind of political activity, including the peaceful assemblies, including the calls for something, the pressure in the social networks, this, uh, of course, has a certain impact on the society, that the society understands that uh, it's more and more difficult to express your political views, mm. and, and of course, what they are doing, they are controlling the elections and all inter-electoral periods in much more, in a better way. They created the special uh, Ministry of Information and Social Development. They institutionalizing the control. And this is what, to a certain extent, also the result of these Jamozen events in general. Very interesting what you are saying, Evgeny. You know, none of what you said, the government learned or took away from those events seems to be positive. I mean, it, it seems that they were more focused on how to find ways to crack down, not on how to address issues, the problems which led to those kind of protests in the first place. Bruce, we kind of wrapping up the conversation today. Is there any final thoughts that you would like to add or is there anything that we missed uh, to discuss so far that you would like to raise? Well, well, you know, I mean, I thought you just made a really good point there is that, uh, you know, that this is sadly, this is the lessons, not just in Kazakhstan, I can't just lay this all on the Kazakh government, but really across Central Asia, the lessons they learn from uh, from when things like Jano Ozen happen are the wrong lessons. You know, what they should be figuring out is what were the people demanding and how can they do something to at least partially meet these kind of demands. But instead, they look at this as a failure of security forces to keep 
to prevent these things from happening in the first place. And that's the that's where they come at these problems from. Not what what can we do to keep our people happy, but what can we what can we do to improve security forces so that something like this isn't repeated? You know, and like I said, unfortunately, the, it, this is how they work again and again and again. And other countries watch it too. Yeah. They see what happened. Neighboring Central Asian countries see what happens in one country, and they also take steps so that they don't have to go through the same experience by improving their security forces abilities adding more people to the security mm-hmm. forces something like that it's it's really really unfortunate that this kind of stuff happens but we've also heard some good points during this about you know what what happened with protest and and strikes and how they divide them you know yeah. uh, when you think about the kettling that goes on or or activists and, and people being picked up ahead of a, a known mm-hmm. demonstration or rally or something like that that mostly happens you know with the political protest mm-hmm. when, when they have labor strikes like whatever the oil workers you know in this case we've been talking about they've learned to be much more cautious about how they approach them what happened in john ozen on december 16 2011 showed the authority if nothing else they they recognized whether they're willing to admit it or not that they 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 went way over the limit with Mm -hmm. that one Mm -hmm. and so when they see these people going on strike and making demands for better wages better working conditions you know additional benefits and stuff they address that really quickly uh you know they go out and meet with them officials usually meet with them and like i said the striking workers never get all of what they want but they usually get some of what they want and like i said the government learned that they can't let these things fester like they did in 2011 you know mm-hmm. like dr nia's mentioned the the strikes that started in 2011 started you know eight nine months before actually john ozen happened mm-hmm. and and more and more services and more you know industries joined the strike in some way or another you know it was the oil workers and then it was also the transport workers you know for the oil companies and other industries around there that kind of joined in and 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 so it became a much bigger strike involving many many different sectors of of the western part of kazakhstan and so they're they've gotten better at at trying to make sure that this stuff does not go on for very long so that it can't attract other other workers from other industries or other areas in the uh, you know around the country Hmm. You know, I I think I heard someone say, maybe I misheard them earlier, like after those events, authorities started blaming any any kind of protest to be a politically motivated. So you are saying that they learned how to distinguish between political rallies and rallies purely organized, let's say, for economic reasons. Well, to some extent, I mean, Yevgeny made the, the absolutely valid point that, that labor strikes have a way, any labor or, or strike or something has a way of becoming politicized mm. as, it, as it goes along. Mm. If you let it go for weeks and weeks, the demands for higher wages become the demands for changes in government mm. or officials in the government. Mm. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's that's one thing that they, like I said, that the government did learn is that you can't let these things go oh, on okay. for a long oh, time. From that you can't perspective. send okay. in the troops to beat people up or, mm. uh, you know, or shoot at them like mm. they did. Mm. Okay. So, very final point here. Uh, again, we started this conversation from Janos and events. So, let's end it w- with them. Um, so, maybe, Darhan, this is a question for you. So, what happened to the families of those victims in any way they were compensated they were hurt yeah what has been sort of a legacy for them for the family members of the victims i'm afraid i'm not the right person to to okay. ask this the, this question the question that because i cannot speak for 
every family. But from our accounts, uh, some of them got the compensation in exchange for for silence. The, I've heard from our reporters who reported from journalists and mm. told us that the people are ex- uh, afraid to talk to journalists because the government gave them uh, compensation, some kind of, mm. and they gave them jobs, like they, they found them a job. Sometimes, like, it might be, like, good position, sometimes just regular position, but, like, they fear that they would lose their jobs, their status, if they speak to journalists. That means that when the government was giving this kind of helps or aids to those families, I guess they gave them with with the condition to not speak about the uh, Janosan events. Mm. Still, oh. like not all the people in Janosan are anxious to talk their grievances mm. because of this, like uh, the the fear from the local right. authorities. Right, right. And but there are families who lost not only one member mm. of the family but mm. two, and there there were families that just. Uh, I mean, there was the mm. one person, the orphan, whose name was Bajenka, mm. and uh, he is today a hero for many genders and people because he was forced to to blame the, the oil workers, but oh. then he admitted that he was forced and that he was lying in order to put those oil workers into jail. Oh. And but. After that, uh, he was uh, killed in a just very like uh, strange situation by mm. two drunken people. But no one believes that drunken people could kill him, and uh, they suspect that this was organized mm. killing. Wow. Stories differs from fam- from one family to another. Mm. I assume. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it sums up today's very um, kind of a tragic conversation. And I also know that Yevgeny, you have uh, worked on this extensively if you want to add anything in two lines your microphone is yours otherwise i'm going to end the conversation in terms of the implications in terms of the legacy of those events into the family members of victims Uh, very briefly two Mm. lines about the international reaction first of all about the reaction of the european union u.s Mm. and so on and as i said already it reminds me the situation with the Andijan events as well at certain point, there was some kind of criticism and some kind of, uh, let's say, calls for the independent investigation and so on. But finally, it ended up with the zero reaction and except the UN structures, which we are calling again for this investigation, nothing happened. Unfortunately, it shows that international community, international institutions, democratic countries are rather weak in their calls and their policy related to such tragic events. And it is, of course, it's made me very, very sad in mm. that regard. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's very good that you raised the international reaction element there or lack thereof in terms of these events otherwise we have forgotten that but thank you very much it was very good point so with this we unfortunately have to conclude the conversation here thank you very much Yevgeny Jotis the director of the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law also big thanks to Dr. Nursait Niazbekov assistant professor of international and regional studies at the Kimap University and Darhan Omerbekov senior journalist with Radio Free Radio Liberties Kazakh service locally known as Radio Azatik along with Bruce Panier the editor of Radio Free Radio Liberties Central Asia blog Log Awazi. Thank you, colleagues. And this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Ready Free Radio uh, Liberties Media Manager here in Washington, D.C. Until next week. Bye bye.